Our Bible reading this morning comes from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We are, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Amen. Well, Lockie mentioned before the question, who do you think you are? Uh, there's a TV show on SBS, you've probably seen it, uh, where they take a celebrity, uh, some famous person, and take them on a journey back into their family tree. Um, there are things in those episodes that are really interesting and fun. There are some things that are big surprises for these people. And for many of them, there are some tough realities that they actually have to face up to. Uh, they did one on Simon Baker uh, just recently. Uh, he grew up not knowing that the man that he called his father wasn't really his father, and the man that he called Uncle Barry was in fact his father. Who do you think you are? We come this morning to Ephesians chapter 2 and if you had to come up with a title for that passage, I doubt that you could do much better than who do you think you are? It's a crucial part of Paul's letter to the Ephesians that we're looking at today. In fact, I think this is kind of the main reason that Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians. There was an issue that he needed to confront and uh, make sure that the church were clear about. For the church in Ephesus, Paul wants to say it is imperative that you know who you are. It's important to know how it is that you have become part of God's family. I said two weeks ago that um, the opening of Paul's letter, particularly chapter 1, is predominantly speaking to Jewish Christians in that passage. Uh, you get a glimpse of what Paul is saying with the personal pronouns that he uses. Generally, in this letter, and especially in these first two chapters, when he says we, he's talking about we Jewish Christians, 
And when he says you, he's talking about the Gentile Christians. And he continues with that as he comes into chapter 2. He makes the rather confronting statement right at the beginning of the chapter. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And then jump down to verse number 11, pick it up again, where he says, therefore remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth, And then jump down to verse 12. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Doesn't pull any punches here, does he? I mean, it sounds like he's beating up on the poor old Gentiles. He says that before becoming a Christian, you Gentiles were without God and without hope in the world. You were excluded from citizenship with God's people. Now, to the best of my knowledge, we don't have anyone in our church who's from a Jewish background. If we do, please, I'll apologise to you over morning tea. But when he says things like without God and without hope in the world, he's talking about us Gentiles. Are you comfortable with that assessment of yourself? I mean, pre-Christian state, he's talking about. Dead in your transgressions and sins, without God and without hope, excluded from being part of God's people. Sometimes don't really like those ideas, do we? I had a friend who was speaking at a fairly well-to-do Anglican church on the north shore of Sydney, and he'd been invited there to preach the gospel, to explain what it means to be a Christian, the basics of the Christian faith. And he was saying that we are all sinful and that we need to acknowledge our sinfulness before we can accept the forgiveness that God offers us. And at the end of church, he went to the door to shake hands with people as they were making their way out of the church. And a well-dressed and clearly very angry older man came up to him and said, how dare you tell me that I am sinful? You don't even know me. But I bet he's not the only one who feels uncomfortable with that idea. We'd be happy to admit that we're not perfect. We're happy to admit that we've made a few mistakes. But dead in my transgressions and sins? Without God and without hope in the world? Excluded from God's people? And I can't help but think that there would have been a few Gentiles in Ephesus who were a little insulted by what Paul was saying here. Now, by the time we get to the end of this chapter, we're going to see exactly why Paul has said all of the things that he said. But the fact is, you can't see that you need help until you recognise the seriousness of your situation. If you think that that you're doing okay, you won't feel that you need forgiveness. If you don't think that you're sinful you won't think that you need to be forgiven for your sins. You won't think that you need to be saved. In my 20s, I used to surf quite a lot um, on the northern beaches of Sydney and we went surfing one day uh, at Worrywood. And Worrywood Point is a really great place to surf when you get out around the rocks there when there's a decent swell. Uh, Good place to surf, not so good a place to swim. 
I paddled out. There were probably about 10 or 12 of us who were out there on this day. It was a reasonable sort of surf. But I saw a guy swimming out there, not too far away from where I was. And he was bobbing up and down and seemed to be spending more time down than up. So my curiosity got the better of me. I paddled over and said, mate, are you okay? And I'll never forget his response. His exact words to me were, no, actually, I'm drowning. (laughs) 15 metres away were 12 people on surfboards and he didn't think he needed to call out and say, hey, can someone give us a hand here? I pulled him up onto my board and paddled him into the beach and uh, by that time a helicopter arrived and... and, um, Deb said, oh, I wonder what that is. And I said, there was a guy drowning out there and I just rescued him and brought him in. She said, don't be stupid. What do you reckon the helicopter is? <laughs> that was the end of the story. <laughs> she still doesn't believe that I saved anyone. <laughs> Paul is reminding the Gentiles of the situation that they were in and his assessment is pretty brutal. And can I say, that's an important thing for us to remember. Before you came to the point of trusting in Jesus... You were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in God's people. You were without hope and without God in the world. Now, if it sounds like I'm hammering the point, that's only because I'm hammering the point. You need to make sure that you do understand this and you do accept this for yourself. This is something that we need to be reminded of regularly. It's important to remember that God didn't choose you because of anything that you've done or anything about you. He didn't choose you because of the warmth of your personality. He didn't choose you because you're a kind and generous person. God didn't save you for any of of those reasons. He didn't save you because you're morally upright. The only contribution that you made to your salvation was that you desperately needed to be saved and you couldn't do anything for yourself. So after the bad news comes the good news and this is where we get up to verse number 13. Paul sums up what it is that Jesus has done for us Gentiles. But now, jump ahead a few words, in Christ Jesus... You who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And then jump down to verse 15, partway through that verse. Jesus' purpose was to create in himself one humanity out of two, thus making peace. Back in Paul's day, Jewish people thought that there were two types of people in the world. Jews and everybody else. They measured the world that way. That's what Gentiles were, anyone who wasn't a Jew. So there were only two types of humanity in the world as far as Jewish people were concerned, Jews and the rest, Gentiles. So do you see what Jesus has done here? Verse 15, creating one new humanity out of two, thus making peace. One humanity whose common bond is faith in Jesus. A group of people who are united by their faith in Jesus. I've been fortunate enough to speak at Christian organisations and meetings in a couple of different countries. I've been to Zimbabwe and South Africa and China and to Myanmar. And one of the things that amazes me when you meet Christians 
from those other countries is that you may have absolutely nothing in common with them except your faith in Jesus. And that faith in Jesus trumps every single difference that you might have. I've been mixing with people in Zimbabwe pretty regularly as we go over there each year. And I really have nothing in common with these people. Completely different background, completely different struggles, completely different lifestyle, completely different joys. But our faith in Jesus is the thing that completely unites us. That we have nothing else in common, really, other than our faith in him. These are brothers and sisters because of what Jesus has done. And we can set aside every difference that we have because what unites us is far greater than anything that might divide us. So why does Paul say all of this here in chapter 2? Well, now you need to jump down to the bottom of the passage, verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. Notice the you. I'm sure he's talking to the Gentiles at this point. No longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. There were Jewish Christians in the church in Ephesus who clearly thought that they were a little better than their Gentile brothers and sisters. And it would appear that there were Gentile Christians in Ephesus who thought a little too highly of themselves and didn't respect their Jewish brothers and sisters. And Paul wants to remind both groups that they have come to faith in Jesus. Sure, they've come via different paths, but they've come to the same saviour in Jesus. They've both come to the point of accepting the forgiveness that God offers in Jesus. And anyone who has their faith in Jesus is a citizen of this new family, equally part of God's family. Who do you think you are? Situation for us is that we have been welcomed into God's family, welcomed into a relationship with God. Prior to our trust in Jesus, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in God's family. You were without hope and without God in the world. If you don't think that this passage is talking to you, then you've clearly misunderstood one of two things you've misunderstood the seriousness of your sin or you've forgotten that it's God who has done all of the work to make you part of his people it's unlikely that we're going to find ourselves in a situation like Paul had in the church in Ephesus 
I doubt that there would be too many churches where there are Jewish Christians who are thinking a little too highly of themselves. But we can find a similar problem in our churches. We can find churches where people somehow think they're a little more deserving of God's salvation than perhaps others were. They can give the impression that they believe in the idea of salvation by faith. But in the back of their mind, they have this idea that God saved them because they're pretty good people and really deserving of what it is that God gives. And that's bad enough. But the other side of the coin is even worse. There are people who view others as second-rate Christians because they haven't quite achieved the same moral or social standing that I have. Christians looking down on other Christians because of standards that they've set for themselves in their own mind. When I was growing up, I lived in a little country town out near Mudgee and my parents uh, used to run a Bible study group, a Bible study group for a wider area and there was a guy who came along to that Bible study group my dad got to know him very well became one of his best friends he was a man who'd done 14 years for armed robbery Uh, he became a Christian towards the end of his time at Grafton jail uh, quite miraculously and he was a man who was transformed by the gospel completely changed man but sadly he never really managed to fit into a church It'd be okay when they first arrived, but after a while, people would find out about who he used to be and it became unworkable for them to be able to stay in the church. It seemed that the people in the church might have accepted the idea that he was forgiven. They just didn't feel that they were ready to take that step to forgive him. Who do you think you are? It's a good question to ask yourself, not just once, but to regularly ask yourself and you need to make sure that you remember the answer. The answer is you are someone who has contributed nothing to your salvation other than the fact that you desperately needed to be saved and you can thank God for the salvation that he gives to us in his son Jesus. Christ.